0: Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, I'd ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, we're five weeks into our series in the book of Colossians. Uh, the series kind of title for the whole book is The Sufficiency of Christ. Uh, this epistle uh, out of the New Testament is, is one of the strongest epistles that, that, that teaches us that, that Christ is supreme above all things and above all people. And because he is supreme, he is sufficient. And so uh, we've been working through this uh, passage week to week. Uh, we're five weeks in. We haven't got out of chapter one yet. So if you're new to our church, uh, that shows you kind of the pace that we go. Uh, generally, three or four weeks out of, a, out of a chapter as we just line by line study the book expositionally. So this morning, we're going to be in Colossians chapter one, verses 21 to 23. I really wanted to finish the chapter the more I studied this, the more I realized uh, there's, no, there's no way we can skip over this. Uh, we need to dedicate uh, an entire Sunday morning at least to these couple of verses. And so if you got a Bible this morning, Colossians 1, uh, verses 21 to 23, if you don't have a Bible, uh, the verse will be on the screen for you. And, and so the Bible says this, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, talking about Jesus Christ, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." You know, I was studying this passage this week and, and really, again, wanted to maybe finish the chapter, but the more I studied, the more I realized there's some, some powerful truths in this passage of Scripture uh, about us being presented to the Lord and, and, and being presented in a certain manner with a, with a certain set of characteristics as we are presented to Him in His sight. And so the, the title of the message this morning is, I present to you, and, and your name goes in the blank, uh, I present to you J. Shug before the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, the, the day of the rapture, I believe, is coming very soon. Maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year. You know, every one of us that, that believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation, we look for that every day, quite honestly. I think the Bible teaches uh, some specific things that we can know about it. But the point is, there will come a day where we will be absent from this body and we will be present with the Lord. And, and if the Lord takes us uh, up in the rapture, man, and, and, and the body of Christ is gathered together and we are presented to Him, well, man, there, there's going to be some powerful things that happen at that point in time. And, uh, and that ought to motivate us to, to look for that day every single day. It ought to motivate us to live in a way that pleases the Lord so that when we see Him, uh, we are... Holy and unblamable and unreprovable, and we'll talk about what those things mean uh, in just a few minutes. And so, if you will, just join with me in a word of prayer as we begin, and then we'll we'll break down this passage of scripture. Father, we love you. Uh, thank you again for the worship, uh, Lord. We we are so thankful uh, that God, you're faithful uh, no matter what, even when life is difficult. Uh, you are our song, and uh, God, we're not going to forsake rejoicing in you because of difficulty in life. You are so good, and you're eternal, and you're perfect, and everything is working uh, together for our good and for your glory, and we thank you for that promise from your word. I pray this morning as we study, uh, give us encouragement, strengthen us, challenge us, convict us if need be, so that we can be more like Christ as we prepare to see you face to face uh, in that soon coming day. We love you, and we ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage begins in verse 21, and and we'll, again, kind of break this thing down verse by verse. Uh, And the first thing we'll talk about this morning is our past reconciliation. And, And as Paul's writing this epistle to the Colossian believers, he wants to remind them of something that has already happened in their past, specifically when they received the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 21 through the beginning of verse 22, and you that were sometime Alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. And and so the first thing that Paul deals with is our past reconciliation in Christ to God. And, and, And so here's a couple of key points we want to get from this passage. And the first key is this in our lostness, in other words, before we knew Christ, we were alienated from God. We were alienated from God, and and that word alienated in the Bible means that we were estranged from, we were shut out from fellowship with and intimacy with God. Listen, in, in our lost condition, our sinful condition, before we came to Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we were alienated from God. We had no intimacy with Him. We had no fellowship with Him. The truth is, we didn't even really know Him at all. And the Bible backs that up. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says that at that time ye were without Christ. And every one of us ought to remember what it was like to be without Christ. The Bible gives us a little more clarity. He says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in this world. I mean, listen, that is the condition that we were in before Christ. That's the condition of every lost person on this planet that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. They have no hope. They're alienated from God. They're without God in this world. But verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh, in other words, near, near, by the blood of Christ. And I'm thankful for that. Man, listen, there ought to be a point in time where you look back and remember coming to Christ as Lord and Savior. And before that point in time, God's Word says that you were alienated from God. You had no intimacy with God. You didn't know God. You were as far away from God as you could possibly get. And yet somebody brought the gospel to you, whether it was a preacher, a friend, a tract, Maybe you read it online, maybe you just picked up a Bible and found it, but listen, there was a point in history where now the gospel brought you near, nigh to God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 kind of echoes this same, this same uh, theme. It says in, in verse 17, Paul writes and he says, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord, that ye henceforth, henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, here it is, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And again, Paul just describes what our lostness really is, biblically speaking. You know, you don't really understand how lost you were until you get saved and read a Bible. And then you understand that, man, my understanding before coming to Christ was completely darkened. I didn't understand God. I was alienated from the life of God. I was ignorant of spiritual things. I had the, the chance this week, I was sharing with one of our, our newer families, one of the, the, the men of the home this week, about my testimony. And just, man, growing up, not really in church, but but growing up, uh, having an uncle that was a pastor, uh, but growing up in, in kind of a Lutheran religious system. And and listen, all the way up until the age of 21, when when someone shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me, I was an idiot. I was completely ignorant of the things of God. I was completely ignorant of who God is. I was ignorant of how devastating my sin really was. Man, until God brought the gospel to me through a faithful servant that was willing to ask me some hard questions. And after I got saved, I began to study the Bible and realized just how lost I really was without him. The Bible says that we are alienated from God in our lostness. Number number two, or, or kind of the second point, the key point that we want to study is, not only were we alienated from God, but the Bible says that in our lostness, we were the enemies of God. We were the enemies of God. And, and listen, an enemy is someone who is your foe. They're hostile towards you. And And listen, you may think, well, I wasn't really an enemy toward God. But, but listen, the Bible teaches that if you're not for him, you are certainly against him. And in our lost condition, we are the enemies of God. And I'm thankful for Matthew chapter 5, because Jesus Christ shows up on the scene in his earthly ministry, and he, and he begins quoting some Old Testament passages. He says in, the, in Matthew 5, verse 43, he says, "'Ye have heard that it hath been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy.'" But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And you say, man, that's really hard for me to do. But I want you to understand that's what Jesus Christ did for every one of us. Man, in our sin, in our brokenness, in our lostness, we were the enemies of God and God didn't hate us, he actually loved us. And he extended his grace and mercy to us, and he blessed us, and he offered redemption through his shed blood for us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 says this For if when we were enemies, and we were, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I just want you to know that when we talk about our past reconciliation, in our lostness, we were completely alienated from God. We didn't have any intimacy with God, and we were actually against God, and yet God loved us. God loved us in spite of us and in spite of our sin, which leads to the third key. In salvation, now we are reconciled to God through Christ's body. We are reconciled to God through Christ's body. And, and, and the biblical word, and this is, This is a word you need to pay attention to as a student of God's word. The word is reconciliation or being reconciled. And by definition, that word means to bring into harmony two opposing parties. We were alienated from God. We were his enemy in our sin. And yet God, through Jesus Christ, has brought two opposing parties together through his shed blood. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And you've got to pay attention to this passage Because God's word says that at salvation, God brought harmony between us as enemies of God, as alienated from intimacy with God and Jesus Christ. God brought harmony through Jesus Christ between us and God. And now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. In other words, God's goal is that all men be saved, the entire world. The ministry of reconciliation is available to the entire world. Not just some elect predetermined group of people whom God has chosen to be saved before the foundation of the world. The, the ministry of reconciliation is is, is applicable and available to the entire world. He he wants to reconcile the entire world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And so, listen: if you're born again, you need to understand. Number one, your sin has been dealt with on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus Christ has reconciled you. He's made peace and harmony now between you and God through his shed blood. And you say, amen. I'm thankful to God for my salvation. And we ought to be thankful to God for our salvation. I mean, listen, listen, what else can you be thankful for? Are you kidding me? We ought to rejoice that we are saved. But listen, not only are are we reconciled, but now God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given those that are saved and those that are new creatures in Christ the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, we are now to take the ministry of reconciliation, oh, by the way, the word of reconciliation, and we're to share it with the world. That word of reconciliation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can reconcile lost man to God. And every Christian that that is hearing me this morning or that will watch this later, you need to be rejoicing in your reconciliation, but you need to understand that you've been tasked with the ministry and the word of reconciliation. Every born-again believer is called to take that message of redemption to the lost world. That's not just a pastor's job. That's not just a missionary's job. We are all called to take that message of hope and reconciliation to the entire world. And you say, well, that's a tall task. We'll start by taking it to your neighbor. Start by taking it to your workplace. Start by taking it to your family. And listen, you'll see this same pattern work out where that your lost friends and your lost family can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's the point. And listen, every one of us ought to be able to to, to look back in our life and find that moment in time where we have been reconciled, past tense. It, 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 it's, it's something that happened and has been done through the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's how Paul begins this little portion of scripture. He talks about our past reconciliation. And then he, he transitions to talking about, and this is the second point, our future presentation our future presentation. And, and again, in verse 22, he says, you've been reconciled to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And so here's the key that's in your notes. Look, Christ reconciled us in the past to present us to himself in the future. In other words, this is talking about a future event that's going to happen, that, that, that we are going to be presented to Christ. And, and prayerfully, we're presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight when we see him face to face. And again, there's some cool words that, that God preserved for us to explain this thing uh, this presentation that, that Paul is talking about. You know, again, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul talked about the church, the body of Christ, being holy, being as a bride being presented to her husband. He says in, in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, He says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may, here it is, I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so, don't miss what God's Word is 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 painting a picture of here. Listen, any married person that got married in with a with a maybe a traditional marriage ceremony understands what's being taught here and illustrated. Listen, listen, Paul is talking about the bride of Christ being presented to the Lord Jesus Christ as a chaste virgin, holy, unblamable, unreprovable. And listen, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, listen, you find that special someone in your life, and uh, and you you asked her to marry you, and you caught her at a weak moment, and she said yes, okay, and and that's awesome, and uh, you know she should have listened to her daddy, but she didn't. She said yes, and okay, so so now that that you're engaged. And that engagement process, you know, in our culture, lasts however long, you know, a few months, a year, whatever, two years. And, and, and so during that engagement, you're, you're working toward the, the date of the wedding. That's what everything is focused on and working toward. And so you make the plans and you rent the space and you, you invite, you have the invite list and you determine the food. And oh, by the way, that bride is, is shopping for dresses, and she's got to ultimately say yes to the dress and spend a lot of money and all that good stuff. And, and then, you know, things are creeping toward the day of the wedding, and then the day of the wedding comes, and the guest list is, is complete, and, and the bridesmaids are prepared, and the groomsmen are prepared, and man, all day long, all for, for weeks and for months, she's been preparing for this day, this special day, to marry her husband. And, and man, the makeup has got to be perfect, and the hair has got to be perfect, and the dress has to be perfect. And, and in our culture, at least in America, generally, you know, the groom doesn't see his bride until the doors of the, the church open in the back. And man, she comes down that aisle and, and that's the way it was in, in my wedding. And listen, I, I'm telling you that whole day, I'm just anticipating seeing my bride. And man, I'm standing up on the platform and, and this was almost 20 years ago. And I remember it like yesterday and those doors opened and there she is. And she's absolutely stunning and absolutely beautiful and absolutely perfect. And, and listen, that is what Paul is saying. As, a, as the bride of Christ, we are going to be presented to our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way in which we are presented is determined now. You see, he is the perfect husband. He is worthy to have a, a, a bride that has been prepared and that's been preparing herself. And, and as we get into this topic of our future preparation, or excuse me, our future presentation, I want to show you from the text that there are three characteristics of a prepared bride of Christ. There are three characteristics that God gives to us in this passage. Number one, he says that, that he wants to see the church presented holy. Holy holy. And that word holy in the Bible means set apart. It means sacred. It means separated unto God for God's purposes and for God's pleasure. That's what the word holy is. And listen, we are called Christians. We are called to be holy. We're called to live in holiness. In Ephesians chapter one and verse four, it says this, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In Ephesians 5, as as, as Paul is kind of giving instruction on husbands and wives, really what he's doing is teaching about Christ and the church. And Ephesians 5 has some wonderful marriage counseling material in it, but it has even better church doctrine of how the church is to be preparing herself to meet her husband. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of the water, by the word, that he might present it to himself. There it is. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy holy and without blemish. I mean listen, a prepared bride, a prepared church, a prepared Christian is going to desire to be holy. Why? Because Christ is holy and he deserves he deserves a holy bride. He deserves a body of believers. He he deserves a local church, community fellowship Baptist church. He deserves a church willing to focus on being holy so that we, when he sees us and we see him, well, it, it's pleasing in his eyes. You know, the second characteristic that Paul talks about is, is not only being holy, but being unblameable. Unblameable. And in the Bible, the word unblameable means without spot, without blemish, without fault. And again, I, you know, I can't speak for you, but I go back to my wedding day and, and my, my wife uh, the bride as she's coming down the aisle, man, and, and she's perfect. And there's not a spot on her dress. There's, everything is in perfect place. Her hair is perfect. Everything is absolutely perfect. No spot, no blemish, no fault. And as 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 Christians and as churches, listen. That has got to be our desire to to please the Lord and to be presented into Him unto Him in this manner, unblamable. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, it says this, The Lord make you to increase and to abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Without spot, without blemish, without blame, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 14 says this, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. And oh, by the way, if you've read the Bible, well, the heavens and the earth are going to be renovated by fire. They'll be judged, and, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And so we look for the new heaven and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, wherefore, beloved... Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. You know, I wonder in our Christian culture how much we certainly are thankful for the reconciliation part of Christianity. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God has made peace through Jesus Christ. He's reconciled two opposing parties through Jesus Christ and through his shed blood. I'm thankful for that. But you know, after, after salvation, there's still a process that needs to happen in our life. We need to become more holy. We need to become unblameable in our walk with him. You know, when, when, when the apostle Paul was, was working out his ministry, this is not on the screen, but in Galatians chapter 2, Paul had to actually confront another one of the apostles because he was living blamable. And, and that apostle that Paul had to call out onto the carpet was the apostle Peter. And Peter was a Jew, and, and, and Peter was the guy that, that probably more than anybody understood at the beginning that the gospel was going to go beyond the Jews and beyond the nation of Israel to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 10, uh, he's the guy that God used to get the gospel to Cornelius and to, and to Cornelius' house. And, and in Galatians chapter 2, you can just jot the reference down, verses 11 to, four, 11 to 14, the Bible says that when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He wasn't living unblameable. And the text goes on to tell us that when the Jews were around, Peter acted one way. But when the Gentiles were around, he acted a totally different way. As a matter of fact, he was eating pork chops and bacon with the Gentile brethren which would have been contradictory to the Jewish tradition, but in Christ, it would have been allowable. <laughs> and so he's hanging out with his Gentiles, but when his Jewish friends show up, the Bible says that he walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. And so Paul called him out. Oh, and by the way, he called him out face to face because he was to be blamed. And, and I think God may have put a little snapshot of maybe the judgment seat of Christ right there in Galatians chapter 2. Because the truth is, is when he sees us face to face and we see him face to face, if we haven't lived an unblameable life, well, there'll be blame. And, And the Lord will have to deal with us at the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, okay, that's fine. You don't have to believe it, but the Bible teaches it. That the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us will stand to give an account. And we will be there because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We'll be there because we are in him and he is in us. But we'll still give an account. We'll give an account. And we can't just, we can't live in modern 21st century Christianity that says, okay, now that I'm saved, I can live the way I want to live. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. Actually, the Bible teaches that we should live holy and that we should also live unblameably, that we should not walk opposite or opposing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and, and so this future presentation, well, it's really important when we see the Lord face to face. Number three, God tells us that the third characteristic of a church that's prepared or a Christian that's prepared to see Jesus face to face, that third characteristic is that they are unreprovable. They are unreprovable. And again, that word means blameless. By the way, that word is only used one time in the entire Bible. And so the root word of that is the word reprove. And so unreprovable means that you're not able to be reproved. And so we have to also say, what does the word reprove mean? And the word reprove means to find fault, to convict, or to refute. And so and so, what does being unreprovable really mean? Well, it means that, that there's no fault, that there's no conviction, that there's no refuting our actions. So in, in 2 Timothy chapter four and verse two, the Bible tells us that the word of God itself is the thing that can reprove us. It says in Second Timothy four and verse two, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, "Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Here it is. Reprove, re, rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So one of the, the, one of the functions of the Word of God in our life is that it should reprove us. It should, it should find the, the areas of fault in our life or, or convict us of, of areas where we're not walking according to the truth of the gospel. It should reprove us so that we can repent and get right with the Lord and continue to walk in holiness and unblameableness, and, and being unreprovable. And so here's a key principle. Listen, you want to get this down. This is worth you being here today. If I will allow the Word of God to reprove me now, then I can be presented unreprovable then. In other words, when I see the Lord Jesus Christ face-to-face, I can actually stand before Him unreprovable because I've allowed the Word of God to reprove me now, to correct me now, to find fault now, convict me now, so that I can be more like Christ. And listen, that's part of our preparation to see the Lord face to face. You know, Paul Paul modeled this for us. And, and again, listen, when you, when you study doctrines or you study uh, things like we're studying this morning, you say, where's the example of that practically? Where 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 is this fleshed out? Where I can see it in other people's life, and of course, the obvious answer is Jesus. But you know, Jesus is God, so let's 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 try to find a human example that we can relate to, because you know, Jesus is like way up here. Well, it's in First Thessalonians chapter two and verse ten, and and the Bible says when Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he says, are witnesses and God also." Uh, you guys are witnesses, God is also our witness, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. In other words, you may have just listened to those last three points, being holy, being unblameable, being unreprovable, and you say, that's impossible, nobody can do that. Well... <laughs> That's a small faith. It's also not biblically accurate. The Word of God just told us that there were a group of, of people, Paul and his ministry team, they lived holily, justly, and unblameably. That was their behavior. That's how they behaved themselves among those Thessalonians. And, and, and listen, church, we have a responsibility to prepare for our future presentation because the wedding day is coming. The rapture of the church is coming. Revelation 19 talks about a a wife. The marriage of the Lamb is is come. And the wife, the bride of Christ, the church, hath made herself ready. That's what we're to be about, church. So so we've seen a past reconciliation. And we see this future presentation of where we're going to see the Lord face to face. So the thing in the middle that bridges that gap is our present preparation. That's the thing that's in the middle. Presently, okay, okay. I, I hear what you're saying, Jay. I hear that I should have past re- reconciliation with the Lord. I remember when I got saved. By the way, if you don't remember that, today's the day you need to get saved. You need to come to Christ today because time is short and you're an alienated and an enemy against God in your sin, but God loves you and he wants to save you. And you may say, okay, I understand that one day I'm going to see the Lord face to face. I'm going to be presented before the Lord as, as the body of Christ and as local churches and, and as an individual believer. And I get it. That's how it's supposed to look. Well, how do I make sure that happens? Well, you make that happen by your present preparation. And that's verse 23, and then we're done. So stick with me just a few more minutes. Verse 23 says this Paul says, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And so the thing that bridges your past reconciliation to your future presentation, in other words, standing before the Lord, holy and unblameable and unreprovable, is verse 23 if ye continue in the faith. In other words, the word if is conditional. You you can be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable if ye continue in the faith. Because God's plan and purpose is to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. But you need to understand that doesn't happen by accident. It happens very intentionally. Now, let me just give you a side note real quick. Uh, the, The if in this verse determines how you are going to be presented, not if you will be presented before the Lord. In other words, some people would take this portion of Scripture and wrestle it out of context to teach that if you don't continue in the faith, you won't be presented before the Lord because you're not truly saved. That's not what the text teaches. As a matter of fact, verse 21 tells us we are already reconciled to God in Christ. You're reconciled. You're not, the reconciliation is not dependent on if you continue. But the fact of how you're presented most certainly is. And so we don't want to wrestle it out of context. You are saved. You are sealed. You are secure in Christ. But how you will be presented in His sight... Well, that depends on how you follow verse 23. And so here's, here's a key, and, and let's get done. Look, here's a key principle, and then we'll break it down. My present behavior, you could say my present lifestyle, my present obedience to the Lord, my present behavior will be the thing that affects my future presentation at the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, how you live really matters. It matters now, but it matters in eternity. And God tells us, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's how you're presented, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And see, the problem in the 21st century is the same problem that they had in the first century church. Many people have started in the faith, but they just haven't continued. They just haven't continued. They got saved, and that was it. They walked with God for a season, and that was it. And so I want you to understand in the Bible, there is a call to continue in the faith. The faith is when you come to the knowledge of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you put your faith and trust in Him. That is the, the faith that the Bible is talking about. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 21, the Bible says that when, when they had preached the gospel to that city and they had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And this is Paul and his ministry team. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples, listen, and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Continue so that they can make sure that they're saved? No. They're disciples of Christ. They're already saved. Continue in the faith because one day you're going to stand before the Lord and be presented. And how you're presented well it determines on how that's determined by how you live now. You see Romans chapter 6 and it's not on the screen but just listen to me. You see a lot of Christians, a lot of born again believers instead of continuing in the faith, they continue in their sin. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, I know I'm saved and I'm under God's grace and God's forgiven me of my sin, past, present, and future. Listen, if you have that mentality, you don't understand that one day you will stand before the Lord and, friend, you'll be unholy. You'll be saved, but you'll be unholy and you'll be blamable. And you'll be reprovable because instead of continuing in the faith, you chose to continue in your sin. Paul answers his own question in Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't continue in your sin. Continue in the faith. And there's a ton of other references that we could go to. We don't have time. I want to I show you from this passage how to continue in the faith. Number one, you've got to be grounded. You've got to be grounded in the faith. You've got to be grounded in the faith. That word grounded means to lay a foundation to make stable. In other words, after you get saved, you need to be grounded. You need to establish a a spiritual foundation in your life. You say, well, my foundation is Jesus Christ. Of course it is. Of course it is. But you as a child of God have to be grounded, stable in the things of God. You need a foundation in the Word of God. You need a foundation of how to walk with God. Matthew chapter 7. That same word, grounded, is translated founded as in foundation. Let's read the text, Matthew 7 and verse 24. The Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, this is Jesus talking, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded, you could say grounded, upon a rock. It had a foundation. It was stable. And he goes on in verse 26 and he says, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which hath built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You see, the difference in the two stories and the two outcomes... Both of these men heard God's word. One man did it. One man heard it and did not do it. And Jesus equates the man that heard and the man that was obedient to God's word. It was like his house was founded. He was grounded upon a rock. And the wind came and the floods came and the the rain came. And the house withstood the opposition, the storm. And the foolish man heard God's word, but his house was not based or founded or grounded. And listen, the flood still came and the wind still blew and the rain still came and that house fell. You know, I think about this COVID-19, you know, pandemic that we're going through. And, and you know, there's a lot of things we could talk about about this. But, but I will say this concerning this, it does affect all people. So it's not selective. It's affected every one of us. It's affected people that have gotten sick and not gotten sick. The economy has been affected. Churches have been affected. Families have been affected. Listen, it affects everyone. It could be one of these things that's like the rain or the flood or the wind. Tribulation comes. Opposition comes. Difficulty comes. But when you're grounded in the Word of God and a right relationship with God, well, guess what? You can withstand the storm. You say, Jay, are you saying that if you're a Christian and you're walking with God, you're not going to get sick? That's not what I said. What I said is that if you're obedient and you have a foundation rooted in the Word of God and you have a strong spiritual foundation, whatever happens to you can be withstood. What if you die? What if you get sick and die? Well, then you'll be presented before the Lord holy and unblameable and unreprovable. And by the way, Paul said it actually is better to be with the Lord than here anyways, and so some of you need to take note of that. You know, Ephesians 3 talks about being rooted and grounded in love. The one thing that will ground you quicker than anything is discipleship. Once you get saved, you need to be discipled. You need to establish a spiritual foundation in your life. You need to have a mentor that can take the Word of God and the principles of God and invest them to help you get stable so that you can be presented in the future in the right way. You need to be grounded. And by the way, if you've been discipled, you're hearing this, and you're part of Community Fellowship Baptist Church, I'm thankful, you would say, check, I've got that, I've done that, I've got the box checked. Well, the, the thing that will help you get grounded even more is to take those principles and teach them to somebody else. Disciple somebody else. Invest those things into somebody else. And oh, by the way, that will help you become even more stable in your walk with the Lord. Number two, in order to, to continue in the faith, number two, we have to be settled. We have to be settled. And the word settled means to be steadfast or abiding. And, and as we study that word through the scripture, the first mention of of, of, of something that was settled is in 1 Kings chapter 8. And Solomon, the king of Israel, is building the house of God, the temple of God. And he says in, in chapter 8 and verse 13, 1 Kings 8 verse 13, I have surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. And he's talking about the house of God and how the Lord is going to dwell in that house. It's a settled place. It's a place for the Lord to abide. The same word is translated in your Bible in your King James Bible as steadfast. You know what being settled really means? It means abiding in Christ. It means it means dwelling with him. It means being settled and having a dwelling place with him and he in you. John 15, verse 5, it's not in your notes, but man, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bring forth much fruit. And he says, without me, you can do nothing. The point is that once we're grounded, we have to be settled. Listen, are you settled as a child of God in Christ? Is he your dwelling place? Is he the place that you abide and you dwell that, that you look for peace and comfort? I mean, listen, all of us love to just get home at the end of a long day. That's our dwelling place. That's a place that we abide in with our, our home and our furniture and our family. And listen, Christ is that settled place for us. We're to abide in Him. And I've said it before, God's cleared a lot of our schedules. He's, he's, he's wiped out all the excuses. No more sports, no more ball games, no more running the kids to 10,000 10, different places. Can't even go to a restaurant now. You know, you can get it to go, which we've been supporting local economy. I'm all about that. But listen, at the end of the day, God has just put us in a place where we don't have anything else. And the issue is, we ought to learn to be settled and steadfast and abiding in Him. Well, that's how you continue in the faith. You get grounded, and then you're settled. And then, number three, the last point is this be not moved away. Be not moved away. That, that little phrase, moved away, means to remove from a place. And there are a lot of things that can move us away from the faith. One of the things that Paul talked about was afflictions. He, he talked about that in First Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, he says in, uh, in verse 3, uh, as he sends Timothy to establish these believers in their faith, He says, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. You know, sometimes afflictions, the very things in our life that should drive us closer to our relationship with Christ are the things that will move us away from it. We'll spend less time in prayer. We'll spend less time in God's word. We'll spend less time fellowshipping with God and with God's people and with God's body will start to move away. All because of affliction. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4 that none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. I mean, Paul was a guy that wasn't going to be moved away. Ephesians chapter 4 says that sometimes false doctrine can move us away. Ephesians 4 and verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, false doctrine will move you away from the faith. That's why you need to be grounded and discipled, and that's why you need to be settled and abide in the Word of God so that you're not moved away. And man, listen, the longer I've been in this this Christian thing and, and this walk with the Lord and, and, in, and church world, the, 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 the more I see it, man. Just because you start well doesn't mean you'll end well. There are plenty of people that have moved away from sound doctrine in my life. People that that some of which I looked up to, some of which were teachers of mine, mentors of mine. Man, they taught the book. They believed the book. And for whatever reason, they weren't grounded or they weren't settled or they didn't build in barriers and safeguards into their life. And now they've moved away from the faith. Guys, listen, at the end of the day... Our present behavior, our present lifestyle will determine how we're presented on that day when we see Jesus Christ face to face. That's why the judgment seat of Christ is so important. Remember, we're in the book of Colossians, the, book that, the only book in the New Testament that mentions the city of Laodicea, other than the book of Revelation. This is the last day's epistle, and God wants his church to be prepared. And so in closing, let me, just, let me just encourage you, number one, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been reconciled to Him, to God through His shed blood, then would you, when you ask Jesus Christ to save you today, if you just bow your head and confess that you're a sinner and acknowledge that you are alienated, you're an enemy of God in your sin, you're, you're completely opposed to Him, but, but, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. If you would ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sin in faith, he'll do it. He'll receive you. He loves his enemies so much that he died for them. And so maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'd encourage you to respond to that. If you are saved, really the message is for you. Your past reconciliation and your future presentation can only be connected by your present choices today. And and listen, if you want to be presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable in God's eyes, How you live matters. How you live matters. And so if you're not connected to a local body of believers, you need to get connected. You say, that's really hard. Listen, you need to be tuning in every week (laughs) to this podcast or to this live stream. You need to be around people that love the Lord, that can teach you the word of God, disciple you, get grounded, get settled, and don't move away from the faith. Because guys, listen, we're going to see them very, very soon. And I'm looking forward to that. Guys, I love you very much. Let me pray for you, and then we'll throw the uh, prayer request slide back up. Thank you so much for for joining us this morning. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Father, thank you again for the the day. Thank you for your word. Help us to be a church. God, help me to be a a Christian that is living my life today, presently, so that I can see you in the right context in the future. Lord, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, Lord, I want to be holy. I don't want to be unholy. Lord, I want to be unblameable. I don't want want you to blame me face-to-face according to the word and say, you know what, Jay, you've moved away from the truth of the gospel with your life since you've been saved. God, I want to stand unreprovable. I don't want you to to take your word and reprove me and find faults where I should have known better. And so, Lord, help me to submit to your word today. Lord, may your word reprove me today. May it correct me. May it find the faults in my life that don't line up to Christ. And Father, help me to respond in repentance towards you. God, I love you. I thank you that you loved me when I was alienated from you and your enemy. I'm thankful that you loved me and you sent Jesus Christ to die for my sin. Father, for everyone of our church family, God, I pray you bless them today. May they be encouraged. And Father, those watching that are are maybe tuning in not as a part of our church family, uh, Lord, we're thankful that they're here, and I pray that you take the Word of God and encourage their hearts today. We love you, and we ask it in Christ's name, Amen. Guys, the prayer slide will be back up. Take just a minute if you haven't already submit a prayer request and uh, give us the option, or, or excuse me, the, the opportunity to pray for you. We love you very much, and the Lord, God bless you.